Well, there's surely no better news than that the Lord is our shepherd. Those statements in Psalm 23 go together, don't they? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. When your life is shepherded by anything in the Lord, it's perpetual want. When it's shepherded by the Lord, it's never a life of want. I'd love for you to stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Ecclesiastes chapter 4. And here at the front of our time together in study, we're going to read the whole chapter. So Ecclesiastes chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun. And behold, the tears of the oppressed... And they had no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors, there was power. And there was no one to comfort them. I thought the dead who are already dead, more fortunate than the living who are still alive. But better than both is he who has not yet been. And has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. Then I saw all the toil and all the skill and work that comes from a man's envy of his neighbor, this also is vanity and a striving after the wind. The fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. Better is a handful of quietness than two hands full of toil and a striving after the wind. Again, I saw vanity under the sun, one person who has no other, either son or brother, yet there is no end to all his toil, and his eyes have never satisfied with riches so that he never asks, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is vanity and an unhappy business. Verse 9, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not easily broken. Better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. For he who went from prison to the throne, though in his own kingdom he had been poor, I saw all the living who move about under the sun, along with that youth who was to stand in the king's place. There was no end of all the people of all whom he led. Yet those whom, who come later will not rejoice in him. Surely this is all so vanity and a striving after the wind. Hey, what do you think about what we just read? What'd you get from that? It's just that sounded really confusing. Anybody? <laughs> Not quite sure what he was saying. Well, let's start with this much to pray. Better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. So let's start here. So let's pray to the Lord that we would be teachable. From the Lord. Father, would you guard us from ever getting in the place in our life where we think we don't need the input of somebody else, the counsel of somebody else, the help of somebody else? We confess together that we need your help. We need your help to understand this passage. We need help to, to understand what our life is supposed to be about. We need help knowing where we should look for comfort and where we should not. So you help us, I pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I had the joy of being with the kids here at the church at Centricid and Ridgecrest, which is in the mountains. We had an awesome week, and then we got back on Friday, and I stepped out of the van and was reminded of the oppressive heat of summer. Man, we were up in the mountains where there was a nice cool breeze, 
and I forgot quite how hot it actually is this time of year. This is the time of year that I just start to endure more than I enjoy. Do you know what I mean? Like August, let's just get through it, and I'm looking forward to the fall. Anybody with me? Leaves changing color, cool night air. I've even let my mind drift on to Thanksgiving. My mom loves to have us over around Thanksgiving, and bless her heart, she always tries to get everybody's favorite, which is a tall task because not everybody has the same favorite, especially the dessert table. I mean, she's got the pie that I like, and then there's the pumpkin pie that Abel likes, and I didn't really know that Abel liked pumpkin pie until we were one Thanksgiving uh, about to gather around for our prayer, and I looked over at the dessert table that just lets you know what I was interested in, just glancing over there. And I saw the pumpkin pie with a big letter A just written right in the pie. And, and I looked at it and I said, what, 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 who did that? And then Abel said, I did that. I said, what does the A mean? Abel, why did you do that? Because I want the pie. That, I mean, this, the, the logic of a four-year-old little guy, I want the pumpkin pie. I've marked it. Now, when God saves you, he marks you. Amen. When you heard the gospel of your salvation and believed it, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. When you're born again, and notice what the Bible says. That's Ephesians 1, by the way. You're not born again when you hear the gospel. You're born again when you hear the gospel and believe it. And we need to know the difference between those two things. Because you can hear, hear, hear the gospel, regurgitate the facts about the gospel, say here's what is the gospel, but have you believed it? You know you've believed it when it shows up in your actual life. The decisions you make, the preferences you have. Question, do you believe the Holy Spirit is powerful? Do you believe the Holy Spirit can seal your life and have an adjustment or a transformation? Man, if the living God has come to reside in you, it changes everything. When you hear the gospel and believe it, you're sealed Ephesians 1, sealing is in that time and place a mark of authenticity. In other words, if you wrote a letter, get your signet ring out, you want to know if it comes from Caesar, he's got the mark of authenticity. Dips it in the wax, seals the letter up, sends it out. You know it came from Caesar because his seal is on it. Bible pop quiz, what's the seal of salvation? What's the mark of authenticity? The Holy Spirit residing in you. And so we want the Holy Spirit's help. In understanding Ecclesiastes chapter 4, we're calling this whole series, Life is Blank, and we ask about every week as we study Ecclesiastes, how would you fill in that blank? Life is busy, or life is hard. Because of Jesus, no matter the specific circumstances of our lives, God can work in such a way that we would say life is hard abundant. I have come that you might have life. This is what Jesus said, right? And have it abundantly. So we're going to walk through here Ecclesiastes chapter 4 and this specific message entitled, Three Questions a Wise Person Asks. Three Questions a Wise Person Asks. Now, I also want to say here on the front end, uh, wisdom does not just ask good questions Wisdom also answers honestly. So this will only be helpful to the extent that you're honest. Now, that's why we need the Holy Spirit's help, because nobody talks to you about you quite as much as you, and nobody lies to you about you quite as much as 
you. We're all by nature sinners, and part of being a sinner is self-justification. Always somebody else's fault, always somebody else to blame. The Holy Spirit comes, and Jesus said, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, and he will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. In other words, he's going to be honest. So we want the Spirit's help to answer the, the questions. It's no help to ask a good question and give a dishonest answer. All the parents in the room said, amen. You've been there with your child, haven't you? The diagnostic question, only accurate if we answer honestly. So let's start with this first one. Three questions a wise person asks. Question number one, who do I spend most of my time thinking about? This is an important topic that uh, Solomon raises here in Ecclesiastes chapter 4. He says, again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun. In other words, Solomon is looking around the world and saying, man, there's a lot of oppression going on. And behold, the tears of the oppressed, they had no one to comfort them. In other words, those who are being oppressed or are living a life are saying, is there anybody ever going to help me? And on the side of their oppressors, there was power and there was no one to comfort them. Why do we ask the question, who do I spend most of my time thinking about? Because sin has entered the world and twisted and distorted us in such a way that the answer for most of us, when we're not either following Jesus or abiding in Christ, is the person I spend most of my time thinking about is me, myself. If you, if you, uh, they haven't gotten this technology yet, but I don't, I don't know if it's coming. It's a little, but if there was a digital recorder of all of your thoughts in 24 hours, and then, again, this technology doesn't exist. We came in here on a Sunday morning and we put it on the screen. How, what percentage of your thoughts would be about you? How am I doing? What's causing me stress? Oh, how could my life be better? And so on and so forth. Now, when the Holy Spirit comes to reside and we're born again, we, we go from how am I doing to how are we doing? You know what I'm saying? How are we doing? One of the first things God does when he rescues you is he liberates you out of a self-centered, self-focused, selfish life and unto a life of serving other people. I think I've got a verse I want to put on the screen. It comes from Proverbs. We're in wisdom literature. It's it's right there. That's, That's a verse right under. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. So just so we're seeing this together consistently in the scripture, the Bible is always warning us, a wise warning from the Bible is don't ever get to the point where you don't listen to anybody else. So here's kind of the trajectory. Sin, we see this right in Genesis 3, right? Remember, God brings uh, Adam, uh, his wife. Remember what God had said? Y'all, this is before the fall. It's not good for Adam to be what? alone. It's not good for you to be 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 alone. It's not good for anybody to be alone. Can I get an amen? Amen. Alone meaning you don't ever listen to anybody else. Sin enters and Adam goes from, remember what he said? It's bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. Sin now comes to everything in my life that's wrong is her fault. That's what sin does, right? And and then keep following the trajectory. They got two boys, Cain and Abel. See how quickly sin 
distorts our relationships. God had blessed Adam and Eve. And then once sin enters and rules Adam's heart, he concludes everything wrong in his, wife, in his life is his wife's fault. Blames her for everything. Takes responsibility for nothing. Runs away from God. Listen to me one more time. When sin entered Adam's heart, he blamed his wife for everything. Takes responsibility for nothing. And runs away from God. And in doing so, sets the pattern for every man that would come after him. Men are marked by spiritual passivity. And every man followed that pattern, except one. And you know who he is, don't you? Jesus. When Jesus enters, the second Adam, the better Adam, he doesn't uh, demean his wife. He loves his bride, the church. Amen? So you need to take inventory. And I would say specifically to the men in the room, which pattern are you following? The pattern of Adam or the pattern of Christ? Then, then the sons of Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel. Now here's where Cain went wrong. Cain thought God should be good with whatever I choose to offer him. I decide what's a worthy offering unto the Lord. And this is the pattern a lot of people go through as well. Cain thought that he could set the terms of what's an acceptable sacrifice. Important, what's the sacrifice about? Sacrifice is about sin. And friends, not just anything can cover up sin. Sinners don't decide what is acceptable to cover sin. Abel's offering is deemed acceptable where, where Cain's not. And then what happens? Let's tie it back to Ecclesiastes. Oppression happens. Oppression happens. The first two people born into the world under the dominion of sin, one was an oppressor and one was oppressed. And by the time we get to Solomon's lifetime, that pattern continued and continued and continued. It's ongoing today. There's nothing new under the sun. Now, notice, Adam never asked, how are we doing? He only asked, how am I doing? And you know the most well-known statement Cain makes is what? Am I my brother's keeper? What's happened? Solomon is emphasizing in Ecclesiastes 4, the world is broken and has an innate desire to get ahead of our neighbor instead of loving our neighbor. Remember, God had given Adam dominion in the earth. In sin, what sin actually is, what the original sin is, is Adam and Eve seeking dominion over God. That's what they wanted. Eat this fruit, you'll be like God. You get dominion over him. And then when the fall happens, now human beings want dominion over each other. And that goes a long way towards explaining all the suffering all the hardship is instead of loving your neighbor as yourself, you view another person not as your neighbor, but as a threat that must be oppressed in order so that you can get yours. That's what Solomon observes. And I appreciate that the book of Ecclesiastes is true to real life. So, so first question is, who do I spend most of my time thinking about? Second, 
is do I approach relationships in a way that honors God? As we, as we read here together, there, there begins to be an emphasis from Solomon's that you want to go through life helping others and being helped. I know that sounds so generic, but just, but just listen to verse 9. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. If they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to help him up. Again, if, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold, a threefold I've had a hard time saying this phrase all week. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. You, you need other people to help you in times of hardship. You need other people to help you when you need comfort, and you need other people's help to overcome some obstacles. That's what Solomon is, is getting at. Let's take a few minutes and observe the life of Jesus to underscore this fact. Relationships are important to Jesus. Relationships are important to Jesus. There's something about our world that we live in that kind of schedule and projects and stuff to get done can take precedent over relationships, right? So a, a couple of months back, I think it was back in January or February, I gave a real similar outline, but I want to revisit it because I want you to find yourself here in verses 9, 10, 11, 12. Are you alone? Like, are you trying to carry some stuff alone? Now, this is a church. So we started with, I want, to, I want to not go through life saying, how am I doing? I want to go through life saying, how are we doing? And, and more even than I would say, like spiritual things. How is my prayer life doing? Say as a church, how is our prayer life not just so much of how is uh, how's my discipling going. How's our discipling going that we're in this to, together? So, so let's think about for a moment what we can see and observe from the life of Jesus when it comes to his relationships. First of all, we'll see that Jesus has absolute devotion to his closest friends. We don't have to turn there, but in Mark uh, chapter 1, so we see it right at the get-go, right? Mark chapter 1, verse 14. After John, John the Baptist was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So Jesus is announcing. Kingdom's here. Look at the first thing he does. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, and they were fishermen. And Jesus said, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, and they were in the boat, mending the nets, and immediately he called them. They left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Andrew... Simon, who will be, Jesus will call Peter, James, and John, two sets of brothers. Where are they today? Where are they right now? They're with Jesus. And it's not because of their devotion to him. It's because of Jesus' devotion to them. Jesus sticks with you. Anybody got a testimony you can say this? Jesus sticks with you. 
He doesn't bail. I mean, you know, when, when he's sitting there and there's Simon Peter in the boat, you know Jesus knows. You know he knows. He, he doesn't say, well, there's that old guy that's going to say he doesn't even know me the night I'm crucified. He says, there's someone I'm going to stick with. He never approves of these guys. If you read about them, their arrogance, their pride, their arguing over which of them is the greatest. He never justifies their faithlessness. He never uh, overlooks their forgetfulness, their denial of him. But he has not befriended them on the basis of what they would do for him. He's devoted them unto death. Do you have friends like that? You need friends like that. The best place to start Having friends like that is to be a friend like that because we discard people so casually. So if I asked you right now to drive to the home of your closest friend in the world, where would you go? Whose house would you go to? Who's you said, go knock on their door, right? Whose house would you go to? Here's my question. Is that person growing and advancing in maturity unto Christ's likeness because they're a friend of yours, right? Is that a person that you're encouraging unto the Lord? As Jesus is devoted, I'm talking about devoted to his closest friends, what does he demonstrate? Patience, forgiveness, devotion to the truth, allegiance to the kingdom, Willing to sacrifice for them, constantly serving them. Now, here's you got limits, all right? Got to accept some limits. You're not going to be able to have a dozen close friends like that. Jesus has 12 disciples, but you can notice even he has Peter, James, and John at a deeper level, it seems. But you need some. Two, three. Friend loves at all times. There's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. That's what the Proverbs say, right? Do you have people like that? You need people like that. See it in Paul's life, don't you? He doesn't ever enter a city that he's not got Timothy, Barnabas, Silas, Luke. So first we learn about relationships that Jesus has absolute devotion to his closest friends. We also see that he's got intentional involvement with the overlooked and outcast members of a community. So many examples we could give of this. The woman at the well in John chapter 4, it seems that she's completely outcast. And Jesus sits there, hottest part of the day, by the well, waiting for her. Zacchaeus goes to the community. Who's Zacchaeus? He's the most hated man in town. He's Mr. Potter, right, from It's a Wonderful Life. And Jesus says, I'm coming, I'm coming to your house today. Maybe that's what we should start doing. Sometimes we invite people over to our house. Just start inviting yourself over to people's house. I'm coming to your house today. I'm going to eat with you. You're going to make something, and, but, but what is it? The first person probably in years that has shown an interest in Zacchaeus. First person who's offered any kind words to him. Lepers. The Gentiles. Mary Magdalene. And if you want to be like Jesus... Invest your life in serving the overlooked and those cast out. Let's make the connection. You'll never do that if you go through life saying, how am I doing? You'll begin to do that when you say, how are we doing? Well, there's somebody over there. They're not doing so well. So they're going to come to my house tonight. Third that we see in his relationships, regular conversations with people of different backgrounds. I'll say this uh, 
broadcast, or meaning just broadly speaking, I would encourage you to spend more time in person with other people than you do online. There is, there is an isolating effect of being online. So, so you need to take inventory of, does the time I spend online, because this is also something that I notice in my own heart and in the lives of others, I believe, when I spend time online, does that lead me to think more highly of the kingdom of God and love people? Because what seems to happen is people grow more and more bitter, angry, resentful, and isolated by living more and more of their lives online, particularly towards those with different backgrounds. Jesus willingly went to dinner at the house of a Pharisee. Now you think about this. Everything that Pharisee stood for, Jesus opposed. But Jesus doesn't say, I'm not going to your house. He goes, sits at the table. By, by the way, are we seeing a pattern? Jesus spent a lot of time sitting at the table eating with people. We'll talk about that more in a moment too. He listened to the Roman centurion. His own 12 disciples include a tax collector, Matthew, and a zealot. If you know anything about the historical context, they were radically opposed to one another. But I also would like to say that when they began to follow Jesus, that was their identity, not who they had been. He's got regular conversations with people from all manner of backgrounds and reaches out to them without ever departing the kingdom of God to do so. Amen? Because the kingdom of God's unshakable. You don't, have to worry, you don't have to worry about it fading. You don't. You don't have to worry about the kingdom of God sort of uh, diminishing over time. The, ge- the gates of hell, Jesus said, are not going to overcome it. You know, Jesus was constantly criticized for the, by the religious leaders. And what was their constant criticism? This man eats with sinners. If you read through the Gospels, doesn't it strike you that it, it really does seem that It wasn't Jesus who kept showing up to sit down with the sinners. It was the sinners who kept showing up to sit down with Jesus. Now, I know there's a little bit of of both, obviously. But it wasn't like Jesus was crashing their party and they all looked around and said, oh, he's here. No, no, they were drawn to him. Luke 15, verse 1. All the tax collectors and sinners were drawing near to hear him. But the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Their criticism, our hope. Amen? Because if Jesus wouldn't sit down at the table with sinners, we would have never had an audience with him at all. The sinners wanted to be around him, and he never sinned. Isn't that interesting? Next, if you examine his life when it comes to relationships, and I'm just tying to Ecclesiastes over and over. He's saying, I'm I'm here to help you up. I'm here to comfort you. I'm not going to sentence you to a life of isolation. It's next. It's time set aside for eating with friends and outsiders. What are you doing for breakfast tomorrow? Anybody already know? You're like that scheduled? How about lunch tomorrow? What are you going to do for lunch tomorrow? Who knows? I mean, honestly, who knows? Sandwich is already made. How about dinner tomorrow night? just to be as practical as I know how, would you consider tithing your time 30 days roughly in a month? So who's who's good with math? 
What's a tithe of 30? Three, right? Three. Would you consider investing three days a month eating with friends and outsiders? Now, this is I'm giving some legalistic obligation, but maybe think about it this way. Once a month, I'm going to sit down at the table with other believers. And it's not going to be shallow conversation about what we usually talk about, weather, sports, whatever. Now, we're going to sit down at the table and got three things we want to talk about. Number one, what is God teaching me through his word right now? What's God teaching me through his word? Number two, what is the area that I'm needing to mature in as a follower of Jesus? just want you all to know, please pray for me. It's obvious to me that I don't have Holy Spirit-given patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Maybe just use the Holy uh, fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Just say, here's where I need help right now. And then third, you say, here's who I am trying to reach with the gospel who's not a follower of Jesus. Here's how I'm hoping to do that this week. Would you pray for me? We, we sometimes said, you don't need friends who are Christians. You need Christian friendships. Amen? So it's just not around people who kind of affiliate themselves with Jesus. But, man, don't you believe when you look at the book of Acts and it says that they got together and they ate, that, that man, they, that's what they're talking about. Talking about the kingdom, talking about Jesus, talking about reaching others for, for, for the kingdom. So you got three days a month, that's, that's one. Two would be maybe a meal where you share with someone who doesn't know Christ. I believe in the generation that's coming, that the generation we're living in, that one of the mightiest weapons for the kingdom of God is your kitchen table. I really believe that. So at your kitchen table, people are going to be able to see some things they're not seeing anywhere else. Kindness. Grace. And then third, that third meal, you just combine the two. A couple of growing followers of Jesus couple of people who don't know Christ sit down at the table. We're going we're gonna to eat three, three, three days out of the month. Now, let me just go on and warn you. That ain't, gonna, that ain't just going to happen. Because here's the pace of our life. This is where our family is, I know. Before we can even say that we're going to do that, the whole calendar is already full, isn't it? We got this, we got this, we got this, we got this. So here's what I'm going to encourage you to do. Don't let non-kingdom of God priorities crowd out kingdom of God priorities. Amen? Some other stuff. Uh, remember the jars? Got to empty those jars. We're going to fill it up. John chapter 2. We might need to empty some things off the agenda, off the schedule. You got two God-given needs for food and for friends, so let's put them together. That's what we see Jesus do. He says, man, won't by bread alone. You do have to eat. So put, put them together. One, the food feeds your body. The other's going to feed your soul. So it's not a coincidence that when Jesus says, let me give you a picture of the gospel, it's a table. You sit down at as a promise and picture of the gospel. Well, quickly, just to continue to see the pattern of Jesus and his relationships as he prioritizes care for the poor and, and the needy. Friends, if the poor and needy are not being helped, we're not being the church. We're not living kingdom of God priorities. Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 46, be a great passage for you to read this afternoon because it speaks about 
a time, a moment that you're going to be there. You're going to be there. Jesus said, call everybody. And he's going to say, did you visit me in prison? Did you feed me when I was hungry? And remember, the the justified say, when did we do that? And Jesus says, when he did this to the least of these. And, And then let's just see that in all relationships, Jesus took the initiative. He took the initiative with you, didn't he? Employees, employees work by the clock. Some of you will be at work tomorrow, and it'll be 2.15, and you look at the clock, and you say, I cannot believe it's 2.15. I thought it was 4.15. Two more hours. Two and a half more hours. Employees work by the clock. The redeemed of the Lord work by the cross. That's the difference. And the cross isn't measured in minutes and seconds and wages. Man, if we got what we deserved, whew, we've been redeemed. Got one more question that a wise person asked. Back here to Ecclesiastes. Third question, last one we'll ask this morning, is uh, what is the name of the person I am serving generously and sacrificially with the goal that they love Jesus? What's their name? The world is... Rough. Oppression. Uh, in verse 5, the fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. That's weird, isn't it? Of kind of a strange statement. <laughs> Makes me think of Jenna. Five months old. She won't take a pacifier. She takes her hand. Every now and then we got to bring that out. You're going to, right? What is he saying is, man, when, when you view other people as... Uh, People you're trying to get ahead rather than who you're trying to serve. It's like somebody who's eating their own flesh. You're destroying yourself. Living for self, here's the divine irony, living for self destroys the self. It shouldn't even be your goal that other people love you. It's your goal that they love Jesus. Amen? So, just let's, let's just be practical for about five minutes here. Husbands, is your wife loving Jesus more as a result of being married to you? Parents, are, are your children loving Jesus more as a result of being entrusted to you? For our church. Do, do you feel the God-given responsibility to spur other people on in Christ? Solomon's giving us a really significant warning in Ecclesiastes 4. He's warning us that your life is going to be about either the love of possessions or the love of people. Never both. And, and, and if you begin to love possessions and just want to acquire more and more, this is Ecclesiastes 4 and the chapters we've been in. If you just want more and more, bigger this, bigger that, that quickly crowds out love for other people. And it's not just that it crowds out love of other people. You begin to oppress other people. That's what he's saying. G.K. Chesterton, Chesterton said there are two ways to have enough. One is to accumulate more and more. The other is to desire less. And he's talking about possessions. 
So I want to conclude this morning that the things you have been given, leverage them to love and serve other people. If God's given you a house, leverage it to welcome people in, to sit at the table. To, to, if God's given you the gift of cooking, I didn't get it. If you got it, and leverage that. Some of you are just awesome listeners. Some of you are amazing encouragers. So, so I just want to give three practical, maybe specific things to actually do. All right? So that's how, we'll, that's how we'll end. Three things to do. Move away from sort of general observations. And I'm just going to ask you to consider doing. Oh, I'm just going to ask you to consider doing all three. How about that? I was going to say one out of three. I mean, Christ is king. We can raise the bar. Amen? So first of all, schedule your first intentional meal. Meal. M-E-A-L. Why does that word sound weird in my mouth? Meal. Set the date. Invite the people. Don't let it get crowded out by non-kingdom priorities. Some of you, Sunday evenings will work great. Maybe for you, Tuesday night is best. But schedule your first time that you're really going to sit down at the table Second, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you to get a, what I call a target of grace in your life, a target of grace. This is somebody who does not know Jesus, might be a family member, might be you regularly go to this restaurant and they're often your server. I don't have be anybody, somebody that you're sort of regularly around and you know that they don't know Jesus. First of all, I want you to know it's not coincidental that God's put you in their life. So who is someone that you know and care about who doesn't know Jesus? I want you to write down their name or at least say <laughs> this is who it is. And, and, and I want you to add them to the we in your life, the we in your life. Instead of how am I doing, you're going to start to say how, how are we doing, and that's going to include this person. And now what is something that you can do tangibly, specifically this week to show them Christ-like interest? I've been talking a lot about food, and that's a dangerous thing to do at this time of the day, I know. But maybe you can make them a meal. Maybe they got something at their house that can be fixed. And you know how to do that. And you just show up and say, we're going to do this. You've let me know the faucet doesn't work. Maybe for them you'd say, I'll keep the kids. The kids can come to my house tonight. And you just have a moment to breathe. Or a gift card to their favorite place to eat. Maybe you'd, just, maybe you'd say, I'm coming to your house. I don't know. I mean, Jesus said that. I'm coming to your house to eat. Or to say, let's go get coffee at whatever your favorite coffee. Pay for a tank of gas. Now, nobody would reject that right now, right? But, but this is important. Be in it for the long haul. Don't let your measure or metrics be that it's all well received or that you get applauded or they post on Facebook, you're the greatest person who ever lived. You, you, no, no the, the measure is the grace that's been extended to you in Christ. And now you're just turning that on to somebody else because you've been a target of grace if you've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And he's just going to be in it for the long haul. And then third, who is somebody 
that you know who is a follower of Jesus that you can encourage in their faith, that you can help mature in their faith. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do in this regard. I want you to, somebody that, that you know, follower of Jesus, uh, and, and they have helped you in your life. I want you to write them a letter, not a text, all right? Don't, don't send a text. Don't send a text, hey, I thank God for you, with an emoji. No, no, write them a letter, and in that letter, I want you to say what you appreciate or admire in them, how you're praying for them, and something about Jesus that you trust. Where did we get that? Friends, that's the most of the New Testament letters, right? Most everything that Peter or Paul writes, he's writing to people he knows, he loves, he cares about, he's encouraging them, thanking God. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, right? And then, and then that's Philippians 1-3, I think. And, and that's, that's uh, uh, yours isn't going to be inspired, right, like Paul's was. That's not what we're saying. But, man, there is power in a letter. And I will tell you this, in 2022, July 2022, there isn't anybody on the face of the planet who's trying to walk with Jesus who doesn't need some encouragement. Then you got to send it, right? Y'all know how stamps work? Anybody need help with that? We'll talk about it at the end of the service. But. Or you can just hand deliver it. <clears throat> Solomon more importantly, the Lord, through Solomon, is saying to us, don't live an envious life. Live a generous life. Adam is an envious man in paradise, in the garden, right? He wants well, one thing he can't have. Jesus is a generous man at the cross. We'll wrap up. Just repeat the three questions a wise person asks. Who do I spend most of my time thinking about? May God give us grace to shift from how am I doing to how are we doing? Do I approach relationships in a way that honors God? Man, make relationships more important than your schedule. I know you've got responsibilities. In no way are we saying don't fulfill your responsibilities at work and so on. But make relationships a priority. And then what's the name of the person, specific person? I am generously and sacrificially serving with the goal that they love Jesus. I wrote a little note to myself here on that last one, and I, and I just decided I will, I, will, I will say it. So, The name of the person I'm generously and sacrificially serving with the goal that they love Jesus. You know, I don't want to say this too authoritatively, because I don't. It's probably the right person if initially... You're hesitant. <laughs> Probably the right person to make a target of grace. And if initially you say, oh, I don't know, I don't know. Now, I don't know if that's for the Lord. I'm just going to say that because you, you know what I'm trying to say. This is for the Lord. There's going to be somebody in your life. They need one who will lift him up. One that will give comfort. One that will help him out. In conclusion, better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king 
who no longer knew how to take advice. I think the Lord, through his words, given us a lot of good counsel today. So let's stand together. We'll pray together. They'll have a time of response together. Man. With your head bowed, there's, there's, a, uh, there's a lot of ways to respond to the word of the Lord. The only way not to is to do nothing, right? An appropriate response is to praise him. Praise you. Jesus, that when I needed help, you helped me. Another appropriate response is if God's convicted you of something, and you just say, I need your help. I want my house to be open. I want my kitchen table to be a place where people see tangibly the goodness and grace of God. I don't want to withdraw into a life of isolation. But I believe Jesus has redeemed me so that I can build up the body of Christ and extend the gospel to those who don't need him. It's not just that we've been saved from some things. We've been saved for or unto some things. So, Father, I now pray that uh, as we sing and think and re- respond, that you would give us grace not to be hearers of the word only and deceive ourselves, but doers. I pray all the more for my church family that we are a people marked by the Holy Spirit at work in us in a way that shows up outside of us. Thank you for Jesus. Where would we be if uh, Jesus did not love us first, love us persistently, or be with us for the long haul? I give you glory, Father, that in Christ everything is better. And the help and the celebration the help we find in Christ and the celebration we have over what he's done. It will never end. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.